At Urban Farm Podcast, we are all about education, and April is Foliar Feeding Month. Have you heard of it? It is a super simple application of spraying liquid organic fertilizer on your trees and garden plants. The leaves, branches, and trunks are incredible at absorbing nutrients. And if your soil isn't great or your pH is off, foliar feeding is a quick and long-lasting fix to get your plants the nutrients they need. Want to learn more? Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Greg Peterson here, and welcome to the 284th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where three days a week we work together educating and inspiring you to become part of your food revolution. Growing plants that thrive in your yard is a lot easier than you think. It starts with saving your own seeds and letting them remember what they already learned. Just text SEEDS to 33444 or visit IWantToSaveSeeds.com and you will receive our free webinar about why seeds matter, why saving them is easy, and how you can save your own. Today on the podcast, we have someone who got creative to work out a solution for a threat to the world's food production. We're talking with Lynn Williams about the decline of the honeybees. After a long career on both the engineering and sales sides of industrial supply, Lynn started the hobby of beekeeping to increase the productivity of his family's gardens. A decade and a half later, and with many more hives, he was frustrated to find the Varroa destructor mite had entered the local area. Unwilling to use pesticides, he elected to use his engineering background to find a solution. Two and a half years later, Lynn has an all-natural organic product that terminates the varroa mite without harming the bees. Welcome to the show today, Lynn. Good afternoon, Greg. Hey, thanks so much for being here. Thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at today? Well, my path was 44 years of industrial automation. I'm a problem solver. I'm a self-taught engineer. Company I worked for had four divisions, and I got trained in all four from electrical, mechanical to pneumatics and hydraulics. And wow! When I retired, I was actually uh, selling a lot of uh, high-speed servo systems, robots, and things of that nature. You know, to get more productivity out of our industry and mm-hmm. solving their problems. And that's what got you to solving this problem, is it not? That is correct. I became a beekeeper uh, like 17 years ago, uh-huh. when I, and that was when I moved back home from Virginia. And the thing there was I lived next to all of my family, and everybody has gardens. Mm-hmm. Wonderful, beautiful gardens had very little produce. Ah. And it was due to the lack of pollination. Yep. So I started with my first beehive and uh, became fascinated by this wonderful creature and tended to them and kept picking up extra hives every year and got to about eight or ten hives and enjoyed the sweetness of the honey and moved forward with that. Really enjoyed being a you know backyard beekeeper. Yeah. Do you still consider yourself a backyard beekeeper? Not anymore. I've had to get up to speed on bees real fast the last five years. Uh-huh. How many hives do you have? Currently, right now, I have uh, 14. 
Oh, nice. But nice. two and a half years ago, I had 37. Oh, my gosh. As the Varora mite moved into this area, they've always been here, but the uh, quantities of them overwhelmed the hives, and I lost 21 hives in one season, which is oh, a my gosh. pretty large, substantial loss when you consider these to be your little precious babies. Right. That's drastic. That's drastic. So sorry to hear about that. So it sounds to me like the Varroa mite plays a pretty serious part of the decline of the honeybees. How serious is this decline? Well, it's worldwide. Varroa mite started in Asia and probably with international business has spread throughout the world. Mm -hmm. Australia doesn't have the mite. Central Congo section doesn't have it because of the extended high temperatures during the day. But the situation now is every beehive in the world, if it will have the varroa mite in there, if it does not, it will have it very shortly. Wow. The way they populate is just remarkable. They, they evolve continuously. Yeah. So what does the mite do to the bees? Well, what happens is the bees pick up the mite when they're pollinating. And the beehive and the bees are the perfect living quarters for the mite. The queen, as the bees develop the cells, the queen lays her egg in a cell. The nursery bees then put the appropriate jelly for it. Uh-huh. And the mite comes along, goes in that cell, waits until the nursery bee caps the cell, and then she lays eight eggs. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, one of them being a male to ensure reproduction. Right. The other seven are females. So instead of getting a healthy bee out, if the if the bee larvae even survives, because they live off the uh, bee larvae, uh-huh. and if it survives, typically it's deformed, and then when they all emerge, well, now you've got seven queens that have just mated with one male. Right. So next thing you know, you got seven times seven. Well, actually seven times eight because they always produce a male. So right. you got eight, eight times eight, 64, 64 times eight. And they work right with the same cycle as the bees. So mm -hmm. before you know it, you have a wonderful beehive that can no longer pr reproduce bees. Right. Oh, wow. So the mite actually kills the bees. Not as much as using a dagger, but cutting off the reproduction Right. Wipes them out. I mean, they just dwindle to nothing. And a, a lot of the scientists now have come back around and have established that the colony collapse disease that we were calling this is actually more than likely the varroa mite. Wow. So the bees catch viruses from the mite. Also, mm -hmm. they're transmitter of viruses. And that messes up the bees. They're... Uh, GPS for coming back to the hive that right. they have naturally. So uh, it's a downward spiral that is just awful. Wow. Wow. And this, this is a worldwide problem. Worldwide problem. In uh, the last eight years in the United States alone, we've lost something like 6 million, 8 million hives, somewhere in that category. Holy shamolies. So it looks to me like the mite has been here since 1987. In Correct. The and all of this damage has been done since 1987. What's that? 
that is it. 17, and, 30 years. And, yeah, and the bee industry scrambled to try to use chemical pesticides to uh, take care of this mite problem. Right. But the problem with that is you never totally kill all the mites in a beehive, mm-hmm. so the reproduction continues. All you do is diminish their numbers. And what we're putting in there also weakens the bees and mm-hmm. makes them subject to the virus. And in all the recent studies the last seven or eight years, the mites and the bees, I mean, it's just a, a horrible cycle. And the mites are evolving. So they're becoming immune to the pesticides that we're actually, you know, right. putting in, in the beehives. As pests do, they become immune to it. That is correct. Yeah. Wow. So you've come up with a solution, and and I have to just tell everybody up front, I found you. I got a press release somewhere in my inbox, and I read the press release, and I immediately got on with your, your crew that had reached out to me because this is a really, really important achievement. So tell us about your solution. Well, I became frustrated when I... Lost 21 hives. Yeah, I'll say. And I started reading all the different scientific studies available on the internet. And I stumbled up on a study that was started in Europe back in 2002, where the scientists there had discovered that by raising the temperature in the beehive at 104 degrees Fahrenheit, you completely kill and exterminate the roar mite. Wow. and does no harm to the bees. So that doesn't melt the honey or doesn't melt the wax? No, the wax softens at 122 to 124 degrees. It melts at 140 something. Oh, wow. And the temperature that kills the bees, and I've confirmed this, is 116 degrees Fahrenheit. Uh huh. So what happens is the bees actually, they try, when you warm this box up to 106 degrees, they actually go in what I call air-conditioned mode. Yep. They try to cool it down. Right. They will gather on the entire outside of the box, and their wings are moving and ventilating air. And it's a natural occurrence that you see worldwide in higher-temperature areas, even here in South Carolina. Yeah. So your background is designed perfectly to create this this new product, is it not? It is because for 44 years, all I've done is in the industry is solve problems. Mm, Right. And I was totally frustrated with this problem. So I reached out to a company in uh, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. I'd seen some products that I thought would work and they were an expert in temperature control. Oh, wow. Over 50 years. Uh Uh-huh. So I contracted them and started working with their engineers a couple of years ago. And uh, we had some frustrations and some failures. Uh, first two or three concepts, we were trying to do it externally on the standard beehives. And uh, wood is such a horrible insulator. Oh, yeah. Like, it's like a point four R.4 insulator. That didn't work. So what we ended up developing was we took a aluminum plate took a microthermal belt that's used in the industry. They actually wrap these, it's a heater belt. They wrap it around pipes. Right. 
and heat the pipe to keep the material inside, like crude oil and other substances, flowing. Uh huh. And they had already, you know, were furnishing this product with an industrial grade controller, which is aerospace certified. So then the whole key was adapting this to the beehive. And it slides in the front of the hive like a cookie sheet. The controller's mounted right there on the face of it. Uh huh. But to have the accuracy that I required is the thermal belt has a sensor in it that sends a signal to the controller. Then we actually take a sensor and put it on the inside of the beehive, right in that brood area where the mites are. Right. So now it's in the industry, it's what we call a closed loop application. Yep. We got two signals, the controller analyzes it, and the accuracy is unbelievable. I mean, we got industrial grade accuracy that, that uh, we're in tents of being the, at the exact setting that we program in. Wow, which is 104 degrees. Well, actually, it's 106 because you're subject to get some air leakage. Oh, uh, yes, right. Cracks, cracks in the wood and things of that nature. And another reason for 106 is this product will actually kill the mite in that cap brood cell. And what happens is when that occurs, because that larvae is not any good anyway. Right. And within three days later, the bees can sense the dead mite, probably by smell. They will actually uncap that cell, bring the dead mite and the live larvae out, bring it out the entrance of the beehive and get rid of it. Wow. They are they are the most organized creatures I've ever met. Right. Wow, that that is amazing, Lynn. Oh, it is. The first time it occurred, I was like, and it and a couple of my in fact my scientist is on board, it occurred with her, Emily Taylor. She called me up and was like, You're not gonna believe this. They're dragging all my brood out. I said, Emily, you're a scientist. Go get your microscope. <laughs> so sure enough. Looked at the brood, right there's a dead mite, more than one attached to this brood larvae. Uh-huh. So to certify what had occurred, we package everything, bees, honeycomb, and larvae, and send it to our USDA lab, because we wanted to know if there was any viruses that might have affected the process. And they came back uh, with their analysis and said, the only thing that occurred here was dead mites. Wow. Oh, I know. It's very exciting. Very exciting. So, so when, when did that occur? Give me a timeline on that. That occurred in the first week of March this year. Whoa, whoa, whoa. So this is 2017 data. Yes, this is 2017 wow. data. Wow. And so you're, you've got some beehives out there that you're testing this on, I'm sure, right? Uh, I've been doing it all day. We have a program to where... In the spring and April, when the bees emerge and they're pollinating, that's when they pick up the mites. So mm -hmm. we actually do a mite kill in April. Right. In August, the mite population actually peaks at its maximum time and numbers, and the bee population starts declining. So we do a mite kill then. In fact, that's what I've been doing today in updating the uh, test results, uh -huh. which, which have been phenomenal. I've had counts as low as 20, 30, 40 dead mites in a hive that 
typically this time of the year you'd find hundreds and hundreds of them. Wow. And then we recommend a late end of the year application in October. Mm -hmm. And that way it's just to ensure that you don't have any live mites in the beehive through the winter months. Yeah. Now, I would suspect that would be a little different for us down here in Arizona. Well, it may or may not. You have higher temperatures and you're, I've talked to some beekeepers out there. You have a mite problem but it's not as severe as in other parts of the country. Got it. Got it. Yes, I do know that we have mites here because I've talked to other beekeepers about that. But like I said, if you don't have them today, they'll be there tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So this is, this is a game changer for the bee industry, I would guess. Those are my words, not yours. Is that the case? That is the case. And what has happened in the bee industry, we lost so many hives that a whole part of the industry emerged just overnight because here we are with these losses we can't pollinate apples oranges blueberries almonds almonds any of our produce so people started raising bees just by the hundreds of thousands mm -hmm. but what happens then is you're not raising bees from your stronger select hives it's just like a mass production right and unfortunately, some of the beekeepers are so frustrated between the mites and the lower quality bees they're buying, they're, they're looking at getting out of the business. Mm. That's a problem. Oh, it's not good for the human race. Einstein wrote that man can probably pr reproduce anything but the honeybee. Yeah. And without the honeybee, mankind is extinct. Yeah. Can you say a little, I, I know that, to, I've heard that before. Can you say a little bit more about why that's the case? Well, the, the case being is uh, there's only four or five crops that self-pollinate by the wind. Corn, rice, and a few others. So if you take everything out of our nutrients and food supply, mm -hmm. and the world tried to survive off just a few crops, it'd be nothing but chaos. We just wouldn't make it. I mean, we had to have the good stuff that we find in our fruits and vegetables to yeah. uh, be able to live correctly. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So what am I not asking you about this incredible product? Tell me. Well, it is a great product. We just went to market with it. Uh, in March, we had an introduction to the North Carolina, South Carolina spring show. Huge response. Did not even have product for sale. I just wanted to see what the reaction would be. Right. I actually had beekeepers that were desperate. I had some prototypes at home. I went home at the end of the show on the first day, put kits together, and they purchased them. In fact, I'll have a wonderful gentleman in Asheville, North Carolina, that purchased the product. And the beekeepers are coming back with all kinds of additional benefits with the product. Really? Tell me. Like in Asheville, uh, this beekeeper, he ordered some new bees. And when the bees are ready for pickup, you have to take them. They call it a nuke. It's only four or five frames of bees as right. a starter. And you right. put it in, in a larger eight or ten frame hive. And when he had to pick his nukes up, the outside temperature was 46 degrees. Whoa. Here you're going to transfer these frames of bees into a larger box. Mm -hmm. He took my product, inserted it into 
the larger box, and when you plug it in, it goes in what we call a winter warmer cycle. Oh, nice. It raises the temperature to 92 degrees in the box, mm-hmm. which bees like to maintain around 94. And as soon as the box got warm, he put his bees right in there. He said they never missed a lick. They thought they were just as happy as could be. The queen, typically, when exposed to uh, outside ambient temperatures of 46 or below, she will quit laying for several days, maybe even a week. Mm-hmm. Put them in there. They were just as happy as she kept laying and producing more bees and worked great. Wow. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm not a beekeeper, and I do know that varroa mites are a big problem out there. And I, I can see the value in this. So congratulations on this. This is just an extraordinary uh, invention that you've come up with. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much for uh, allowing me to uh, tell the world more so. Uh, and the neat thing about this product is I'm not doing this for the money. My goal is to build uh, summer camps for underprivileged kids. Really? And give them a week in their life they'll never forget. Yeah. Nice. Nice. So when does your first one go in? Uh, as soon as we uh, get several hundred units shipped out the door. It. Perfect. <laughs> Being a brand new product, we know we're at probably a two to three year cycle. Yeah. What's the timeline on getting them out the door? Uh, we've been, we started shipping. Uh, we actually geared up after the Bring show and started shipping on June the 4th. And I've been traveling all up down the East Coast. I've been to Syracuse, Utica. Several places in Pennsylvania. I just uh-huh. got back from the Eastern Apicultural Society, the big East Coast show, North Carolina Convention, South Carolina uh-huh. Convention. Wow. Uh, local bee clubs throughout three states. Mm-hmm. We'll be off to uh, Georgia next, Tennessee, Alabama, and Texas. We'll probably wind down in November at the end of the year. Got it. I'll tell you what, if you head out to Phoenix, Arizona, or the Arizona area, let me know, and I'll connect you with the beekeepers I know. Well, probably what I'd do is ship my demos out there and catch a plane. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Well, if you do that, don't forget, I'm out here. Uh, we'll definitely here. keep in touch with you. Perfect. So before we move on, tell us your website. Uh, it's beehivethermalindustries.com. Perfect. We have... All of our data on there. We actually have units at four universities now that are uh, oh good doing testing. In fact, next week I'll be with one university that has 500 hives. I'll be there uh, assisting them and learning more from the scientists. So uh, yeah. that's very exciting for next week. Wow. How cool is that? It is cool. And here's the neat thing about it. Tell me. They set this site up in West Virginia. And the whole idea was create a new industry for the people in West Virginia, and that being pollination and honey. Mm-hmm. So they have built cabins at the sites, and it's right off the New River, and there's no cell phone accessibility. Oh, nice. <laughs> so it's going to be like a vacation for me and the dog. Yeah. We're going to go out there and play with bees all week long and then go fishing. <laughs> perfect. 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 So I'm going to shift on you and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure and what you might have learned from it. Well, in the industry, I've had failures. 
one thing I've always told the customers is if it doesn't work, I'll stand behind it and we will resolve the issues and fix it and make it work. Yeah. And I've had not a lot of those, probably four or five in 44 years. Uh-huh. Even with this B product, early on we had failures. You know, oh. there was code that had to be written for the controller, testing there. I've set out in the middle of the night at 10 degrees. and Oh, my gosh. Had, yeah. <laughs> with my laptop, uh, I've set out in the daytime at almost 100 degrees. I built... Uh, almost like an industrial oven and put bees in there and did testing over a hundred degrees to see what the effects would be. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, yeah, the, the thing about failures is you don't tuck your tail and go away. You keep investigating, you keep working and you figure it out. Yep. And that, that's what drives us. That's what drives America. I yeah. mean, we're America. Some of the greatest inventors in the world. Amen to that. And still are. Yeah. So what do you consider your biggest success? Oh, I've done work with companies like uh, Owens Corning, uh, Sarah Lee, their industrial group. My, I think my biggest success has been from helping the little guy with a small plant. They had one machine all the way to the big multinational companies. Mm -hmm. And I feel like both are equal. I mean, this little guy's trying to produce a product and earn a living. And the large companies in the world are trying to do the same thing. Why not help both? Yeah. Give both of them your undivided attention. <laughs> Very good. So what drives you? Man, I tell you what, I don't know, but I've been this way since I was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> you and me too. I've, well, I've always been competitive. I played competitive golf for a long time. I wasn't good at basketball, but I'd get out there and burn burn my kneecaps up having uh -huh. ball. I mean, <laughs> it's just uh, something I was born with. Yeah, yeah. Just get her done, right? Get her done. Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. So, if you could recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be and why? Well, uh, I would recommend someone that was starting out with beekeeping to uh, buy this book. It's called Beekeeping for Dummies. Hmm. And that's where I started 17 years ago. It's wow. a great, great reference book. Uh-huh. Then the second thing I do is get involved with your local beekeepers association. Yep. They're, they're in every county nationwide. Mm -hmm. You'll have master beekeepers there all the way down to the beginners. And beekeepers love people, and they love their bees, and they'll help you in any way they can. And they love to talk. That's true, and they love to eat, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. There you one, go. One thing, one thing I would recommend is, since a lot of your uh, listeners are urban, don't use pesticides in your yards or your neighborhoods. Oh, we can live with the bugs, and right. the, bees, the bees are just like the bugs. If you're out spraying and all, and a very simple thing, like if you have a backyard garden, you can take biodegradable dishwashing soap, Mix it with water, spray it on your beans, and the bugs will never touch it. Yep. And it's very simple. Yeah. Don't use pesticides. So is that your final piece of advice for our listeners, or do you have more for us? I think that'll wrap it up for today. And 
I greatly appreciate your time. Very good. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Lynn. I have to tell you, I'm just going to reiterate this. I am so incredibly excited about your invention. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, Thank you very much. I'm excited about someday building some summer camps. (laughs) Perfect. So how can our listeners get a hold of you? You can reach me, of course, at the website, beehivethermalindustries.com. Perfect. Uh, Having been in the industry for so long, my cell phone number is 803-504-9313, and I never turn it off. It's on 24 hours a day. There you go. You can also find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash might killer. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. Growing plants that thrive in your yard is a lot easier than you think. It starts with saving your own seeds and letting them remember what they already learned. Just text SEEDS to 33444 or visit IWantToSaveSeeds.com and you will receive our free webinar about why seeds matter, why saving them is easy, and how you can save your own. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen three days a week for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. One of the first things that many of us learn when we start to garden is how to water and fertilize the soil. But there is an exception to this rule and it's called foliar feeding. You should foliar feed or water the leaves of your plant with liquid fertilizer when you want certain nutrients to be absorbed better. Not only are the leaves great at uptaking liquid fertilizer, if your soil isn't very good or your pH is off, foliar feeding can help your veggies and fruit trees quickly get the nutrients they need to thrive. If you're ready to start foliar feeding for maximum growth yields and quality, head on over to urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves to see our selection of foliar feeding products. That's urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves.